0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, are you excited to be at church on a Sunday morning? Let's go. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Joe Little. I'm the youth pastor here. It is an honor that I get to uh, share with you all today. Um, before I get into the message, uh, I have to honor our pastors. Don't we love our pastors? Pastors Tyler and Rachel. Come on. I say this any time that I get to speak, but uh, I hope that we understand that what's happening at our church uh, is not normal, um, that what's happening in our city is not normal, and uh, yes, uh, glory to God uh, that he is moving in our church, Uh, but we also want to give honor where honor is due, and we have some amazing pastors uh, that love us, that shepherd us so well, Uh, and it's such an honor uh, just to be a part of what God's doing here at Mission Church. Let's clap for our pastors one more time. Pastors Tyler... And Rachel, uh, and I always love any time I get to share to just give kind of a youth update. Uh, I got two numbers for us, two numbers today, uh, and then we'll get into the message. Uh, but the first one is we are now uh, currently on eight campuses uh, consistently, so it's super special. These are high school campuses. Um, six of them are public schools. Uh, to where the gospels, yeah, we can clap for that. That's some. That's amazing. That is nothing short of a miracle, um, that on six public school campuses, the gospel is being preached. Students are getting saved by the dozens, um, and it's so, so, so amazing that we get to do that. Uh, And then another thing that's been really cool is that since uh, August, we've had over 80 students give their heart to Jesus, which is amazing, amazing, amazing. so things are happening at our high school and middle school ministry uh, on Sunday nights. We meet every single Sunday night. Uh, so come hang tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, me and Paige are going to be team preaching. So if you, so if you I don't know what else you need, Paige is preaching. So if that doesn't do it, nothing will. Um, but come hang tonight. Um, and then last uh, kind of youth announcement, summer camp registrations are now live. Let's go. Uh, cannot wait for summer camp. We're going to Occidental uh, June 18th through 21st. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much fun. Fun, Um, and we can't wait for summer camp. It's going to be special. If you're in middle school or high school, you gotta gotta go. Uh, It's going to be amazing. And if you're not in middle school or high school, uh, have a great summer. And we can't wait to see you when we get back. Be praying for us. Be praying for us at summer camp. Uh, The title of my message today, we're going to be talking about um, comparison today. Uh, But the title of my message is this: My grace, my race. So uh, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. My grace. My race. Uh, Who in here are runners? Runners, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a runner. Okay, we got a couple. Last service we had zero. We had not one runner, not a single one. Um, Today we got a few. If you're not a runner, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Not a runner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's go. You're my people. You're my people. Uh, I ran uh, track in high school for one year, my freshman year, uh, and I ran cross country in high school for one practice. I made it through one practice. (laughs) Like it was crazy. I got there and I was excited. Like, let's go get in shape for basketball season. And I showed up. You they run run at cross country like they don't run. They run run. They run for real like miles on miles. It was crazy. It was crazy. I quit. I quit happily. I wasn't ashamed. I was it wasn't. Hey, coach, I'm sorry. No, I'm not coming back. I just didn't show up. Didn't show up. Where's Joe? See him in class. He'll be there. Uh, But what's interesting about running in my very small, small competitive running career, uh, I learned that what's very, very important is. Focus Focus is very, very important when you're running, when you're competing in anything uh, athletically related. How do I know? Because over the last couple of years, uh, a couple of videos have went viral on people who were not focused on the race that they were running. Uh, you can go ahead and play the first video. Here's the first one. Take today. my word for it. There's a moral to this story. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepeo. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets picked by Marin Simon of Washington, and you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you go. You see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have. The to guy's like, "I'll help you, you up because I beat this you." This one's my favorite one. This next one, this one's so good. <laughs> So good. Whoever edited that, like gold star. That's so great. Like the high noise, the no, it's so good. Uh, But what's so funny, right, is that when you're running your race, it's so important that you're focused on your race. Life gets very, very difficult. When you're focused on everyone else's race, come on, one guy was focused on the crowd. One guy's, how many times are we focused on the opinions of others? One guy's like saying like peace sign to the people running with him. Uh, but what happens is they end up losing the race because one of the most important things in life is that we are focused on the race that God has called us to run, that we are focused on the life that God has called us to build. And what's interesting is that because of social media, because of culture, because of the world that we live in, we have been told that it is perfectly fine to focus on everyone else's race but our own. Like we're told it's okay to look at the people to the right or to the left. It's okay to worry about the crowd. But what's interesting is that what happens when you run your race like that, most of the time you will lose. And this was not just a problem now, but this was actually a problem in biblical times as well to where people had this issue to where they were consistently looking to the right and to the left to the point that James actually had to write a letter And if you're getting a letter like in the Bible, like you did something crazy. Like you would think like, oh man, what were they doing? What were they like? He's writing because they're fighting and they can't get it together. And you would think, man, like what were they fighting about? I'm sure it was like some of the important issues in the world. Uh, But what's interesting is that they're actually fighting over things like influence, reputation, position, property, money. Come on, a lot of the same things that we find ourselves in these fights today. And in James chapter four, verse one through two. James talks to them and he says, where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think that they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it let's pray before we get in the message. God, I thank you that you're a God that wants us to focus on our race, that wants us to focus on who you've called us to be. So I pray, God, against wandering eyes, I pray that we don't look to the left or to the right, but I pray, God, that we focus on the race you've called us to live, the things you've called us to do, so that we can do the things that you've asked us to. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... So I have this message kind of broken up into a couple parts. Uh, The first part is just some observations that I've learned about comparison. I really do believe that comparison is one of the most dangerous things that we can begin to walk in, one of the biggest things that we struggle with. And the first thing that I want us to write down is this. Comparison starts with desires. Comparison starts with desires. James says, where do you think these wars that you're dealing with come from? As I was studying this, they talk about the two wars that he would have been addressing. The first one are the outer wars, like the fights in the marriages, the frustrations at our jobs, the arguments, the debates. But what's interesting is that he's also talking about the inner wars, the anxiety, the depression, the fights that are happening on the inside. Come on, have you ever had an inner war to where it's like, you know, the bad things aren't just the things that are happening on the outside, but the things that I'm really struggling with are the things that are happening on the inside. Come on, some of the most frustrating, some of the most overwhelming, some of the most distraught wars that we have aren't happening with the things that we can see. But a lot of times they're happening on the things that we can't see, the things that are happening in our heart, the wars in our mind. And James says, do you think that they just happen? Do you think that they just come out of nowhere? He says, no, they happen because you want something that you cannot have. Because you want something that you do not have. And what's interesting is that understanding, like it's, it's weird as I was even reading this of like, okay, how are these connected? Like, like how can anxiety be connected to comparison? How can frustration be connected to comparison? But what's very interesting is that the inner wars that we have, the anxiety, the emotion connected to that is fear. I compare because there is a security that I do not have. And then bitterness, unforgiveness, there is an atonement or a payment that I'm not receiving, The outer wars, the war of marriage, there is a desire or a degree of love that I feel like I do not have. Frustration in the workplace, there is a desire of compensation that I do not have. All of these things start because we want what we do not have. There's even a commentator, Joseph Excel, who said this quote, desires increase with acquisition. Every step a man advances brings something within his view which he did not see before. And as soon as he sees it, he begins to want it. (laughs) So James says when our main motivations are our desires, when we're on our grind, when we're trying to, oh, I need to get to where I'm trying to get to, it's all about me. It's all about the things that I need. It's all about my job. It's all about my purpose. And if you're not willing to kill, if you're not willing to crush people, if you're not willing to do whatever it takes to get to these, well, you just don't want it as bad as me. Like These are the things that we walk through. And he says, when this happens, You're willing to do anything to get it. And while I hope he's not just talking about physical killing, but I understand that when you allow comparison to rot in your heart, sometimes you'll kill people's reputation. When you allow comparison to rot in your heart, sometimes you'll kill people's opportunity. You covet, so you kill. And we live our lives in this rat race of the world. Why is this an issue? Because point number two is this. More comparison, More problems. (laughs) More comparison, more problems. How many problems in our life started from looking at what someone else had? How many problems in our job? How many problems in our marriage? How many problems in our life started from looking at something that was someone else's? When I look at my life, I realize time and time again, I was completely fine with what I had until I saw what you had. (laughs) Like I was cool with my house, until I saw your house. I was cool with my car until I saw your car. I was cool with my job until I saw your job. And what happens is, and we've talked about this before at our church, we begin to live life like crabs in a bucket. Has anyone ever heard of this before? Crabs in a bucket. Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay. So for people who haven't heard this, what happens when you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket is that if one tries to get out of the bucket, the other ones will pull it back down. Now, what's very interesting about this is that if they worked together, they could all be out of the bucket. But what ends up happening, and this is the exact same thing, what happens when we compare, right? We're dragging, trying to drag other people down to the point that it's no longer about getting out of the bucket. To the point that it's like, well, actually, I'm kind of fine in the bucket, as long as you are there with me, (laughs) Like It's cool. In the, I'm fine. I don't even need my situation to change as long as your situation doesn't change, as long as we're in the bucket together. I love this other quote. It's a little long, so I didn't send it in, but Joseph XL talks about this and as he's talking about James in this chapter and the people he was writing to. He says, there was pride, a high inordinate opinion of themselves of their own merits and claims, leading them to aim at self-exaltation, at authority, preeminence, envy, grudging at the prosperity of others, prompting efforts to pull them down and climb into their places, crabs in a bucket, covetousness, the love of money, the desire to be rich, stirring up all kinds of evil, passions, giving rise to crooked designs, plots of every description, these and such like are always, the true cause of our wars and our fighting—envy, greed, willing to put people down, wanting something that's not ours—always are the cause of wars and fighting. Because what'll happen is we'll look at comparison as something that like builds us up. Like we'll be scrolling on Instagram, we're like, "Well, I'm just looking for inspiration." Like <laughs> we'll be looking at other people's marriages. Well, I just want to see like how they do it, I'm trying to get guidance. And then what happens? Comparison doesn't build you up, but you actually feel worse than when you started. I believe there's two things that comparison destroys. The first one is this, comparison destroys your confidence. I was talking to my barber about this and we we're sitting there and we we're talking about how I talked to a lot of students who are struggling with insecurity and are struggling with comparison and they feel like they're, they're always trying to get to this destination. And the biggest reason that we talked about was that a lot of it happens because of our phones. Like a lot of it. A lot of it is because now there is a time where I can constantly be looking at things other people have, things I don't have, where everyone else is going. I'm sitting at home, maybe watching the game. And it's like, man, they're in Tahoe again. Man, they're in Cabo again. Man, they're in Hawaii again. How much PTO do they have? Like it's, (laughs) what's happening? You've been gone for three months. Like get back to work. Like what is happening? It destroys my confidence. So we're talking about this and it's like, okay. And he asked me, he was like, what do you do? Like, what do you tell students? And I was like, honestly, dude, it's so practical. But I say, hey, you just have to monitor how long you're really on your phones. Like, you just have to monitor. And I'm not the guy, like, that's going to just bash social media. Like, I'm not that guy at all. But I do think that it's important to really process boundaries because we'll spend hours and hours on our phone scrolling away, looking at other people's edited highlights, and then it's like, man, why do I feel so bad about myself? Like... Why am I struggling with addiction? Why am I struggling with these things? Because we're allowing comparison to destroy our confidence. And I truly do believe that. Why does it destroy your confidence? Because it leads to shame. How would I define shame? Shame is feelings of despair because I'm not at a destination that I, should, that I feel like I should be in. So why do I feel shame when I sin against God? Because I understand that I'm under a call to righteousness. Why do I feel shame at my job? Because I feel like I should be further along in my career. Why do I maybe feel shame in my singleness? Because I feel like I should be married already. Compared to who? Compared to who? Can we do this? Can we stop allowing the world to give us (laughs) timetables? Can we stop allowing culture to give us timetables? I don't want to live a life that's focused on the world's timetables, but I would love to live a life that's focused on God's perfect timing. (laughs) I would love to live a life that's focused on what God has for me, where he has called me. Because what I've understood time and time again is that God doesn't necessarily have a timetable, but he does have a fast forward button. (laughs) God doesn't always have a time of where, oh, okay, if you're not here by then, then well, you're missing it. But no, but he does have a gracious fast forward button. And I love, love, love this because what it shows me is that we're not behind. What it shows me is that we're not late. I love what the Bible says in Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Everybody say All people your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. What is he saying? If you still have air in your lungs, there is still plenty of time for you to do what God has called you to do, that you're not late, but that God is saying that at the perfect time, I love what the Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season. Some, uh, some translations say at the perfect time, we will reap if we faint not. So we have to be people that say, I refuse to be on the world's timeline, I refuse to be on culture's timeline, but I'm going to be on God's timeline. Come on, are we thankful for that this morning, that we don't have to listen to the world, but we can listen to our God. And the second thing I think comparison destroys is comparison destroys relationships, destroys it. It will cause you to lose friends and it'll cause you to feel bad about yourself because we all know one-up friend. Like we all, we all have one-up friend. And I'm going to be honest. If you're like, I don't have one-up friend, you might be one-up friend. You might be, that was for some, I don't know. I didn't say that the first two services. I don't know who that was for. The Spirit's moving. Lord, send revival. Careful what you ask for. (laughs) You might be one-up friend. We all know one-up friend. They ask you questions just so they can answer. (laughs) What'd you do this weekend? Oh, well, I was kind of hanging out. Well, I was doing this, like, Okay, I guess. Like, there's nothing worse than having one-up friend. Why? Because it destroys relationships. Nothing destroys relationships more than feeling like you can't celebrate wins with people. Than feeling like you're at the dinner table, and we're all having dinner, and we're hanging out, and something great happened at work, and it's like, well, I just can't share that because they might not celebrate me. Well, I just can't share that because they might not respond how I feel like they should respond. It destroys friendships. What else does it destroy? Comparison destroys marriages. Because you begin to put expectations on people that God never put on them. Because we're looking to the left and to the right, right? And it's like, well, so-and-so went here for a break. And so-and-so is doing this with their family. And so-and-so has kids already. You didn't marry so-and-so. <laughs> you didn't marry so-and-so. What ends up happening, and I'm not saying don't communicate expectation, I'm not saying don't communicate, hey, this is how I feel like I should be loved. This is how I receive. I'm not saying don't do that. What I am saying is make sure that those expectations don't come from Instagram. Make sure those expectations don't come from social media or an article. Make sure they come from the Bible. Because I don't want a viral marriage. I want a biblical marriage. I don't want a marriage that is just flashy, a marriage that is just great. I want a marriage that is spiritual and in what God has for me. Make sure that those expectations are coming from God. So how do I get out of the rat race? How do I get out of this cycle of being controlled by my desires, of being controlled by the things that I see other people having? James gives us the answer. James four eleven through twelve says this: Don't badmouth each other, friends. I could stop there. We could all go home and catch launch before the Niners game. Like this is like like that right there. Hey, don't badmouth each other. And I love that he puts friends in it. Like hey, don't badmouth each other, friends. Because what happens in our lives is we forget who the real enemy is. So we'll be at work or we'll be in our family and we'll be, oh, this person's the enemy. And it's like, no, that person's not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. So he says, hey, don't forget that you're friends. Don't forget that you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't forget that we are one body of the church. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? So James says, I have the key. I know what it is. I have the key to comparison. I know what it is. I'm writing down God-inspired scripture. I know exactly what it is that's going to stop the comparison. And he says, hey, stop bad-mouthing each other. He says, hey, you got to stop talking bad about each other. This is the key. I have learned what the key is. Why? Because a lot of times we think that the key to comparison is success. Well, if I just get there, then I'll stop comparing. Well, if I just have this, then I'll stop comparing. Well, then I'll be able to be secure in what I am. But the key to comparison is not success. The key to comparison is celebration. The key to comparison is being someone that can celebrate people's wins well, that loves when people succeed. And not like fake celebration, like celebrating it and actually meeting it, meaning it. Like, because how many times have we like, maybe like frowned at our phone while we're putting like fire emojis under someone's post? (laughs) fire, fire, fire. So cool. Exclamation point. That was my trip to Tahoe. Like saying Tahoe today. Tahoe's great. Keep Tahoe blue. Um, (laughs) Why? Because when I begin to celebrate others, it takes the focus off of me and it puts it on them and it puts it on God. So what happens is when I compare, it's all about me. Well, I don't have this. Well, I don't have, that. I, don't, I don't want, that. I need there. I need to get here. But when I celebrate, it says, hey, I, that's amazing that that happened for you. God is gracious. God is kind. I don't know the journey that you had, but I'm going to celebrate. Can we be people that celebrate people well, that love when people succeed, that their win is our win, that their, that their success is our success, celebrate people well, this even happened in the Bible, what's happening right now is that what's uh, happening in this story is that John the Baptist is baptizing people and he's created like a name for himself and people know who he is and people are talking and he's the talk of the town. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene. And in John three, verse 22, it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And the band can go ahead and come up. We're going to close. I love how he ends this. He says, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So I just wrote down a few observations of how you and I can get out of this rat race, how you and I can maybe stop comparing ourselves to other people. And the first one is this, there is plenty of water. I love that the Bible tells us this. It says, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing near Salim because there was plenty of water. One of the most dangerous places to live is to feel like other people's wins are your losses. (laughs) One of the most dangerous places to live is to feel like when other people are moving forward that you are now moving backward. And the reason why this happens is because we sometimes will believe that God doesn't have enough water for the rest of us. That God is limited in his resources, that their promotion is our demotion, that he doesn't care, that he doesn't provide, or that God can't heal for us like he did for them. But I love that this verse says there is plenty of water. Why? Because God is not limited in his resources. Just because you cannot see the resources, that does not mean that they are not there. We were at summer camp last year, which, second plug, come to summer camp. And we were there and we were doing a panel and we were interviewing some of our students who had um, started campus clubs. So we asked them, we were like, hey, like, you know, some of the clubs, like they have pizza and some of the clubs like have X amount of people. Like, like, how do we get more resources at our club? And one of our students said it so well. She said what ended up happening was she was kind of looking to left or the right and then she had the thought of, I have to change what the definition of resources means in my life. So I have to change it because what happens in our life is that we truly do believe like that we have defined what the resources are, which is why we sometimes think that they're limited. Because if they have it, I can't. Because if they got it, I can't get it. But what if today God wants to change the definition of resources? What if today God wants to change the definition of opportunity in your life? In their mind, more baptism for Jesus meant less baptisms for them. That's what happened. They're so focused on their past success. John, we were killing it. Everyone's talking about us. This is great. This is grand. Everyone's going to him. Everyone's going and getting baptized by him, John. John, we got to figure this out. Can we be people that stop comparing this season to the last season? Can we be people that stop comparing? Can we even stop comparing churches? Can we stop comparing, oh, this church does that, and that season in the last church was this and that, and this event was awesome? Because what they're doing as they're doing this, they're saying, hey, John, can you take people away from Jesus? Hey, John, people shouldn't go to Jesus. They should come to us. And what happens when we're in this comparison and comparing last season to this season or comparing churches in a negative way, what we're saying is, hey, can you take those people away from Jesus? That's all we're doing is we're stealing people away from God. But John had the security to say, hey, I might not be baptizing as many people in this season as the last season, but praise God that people are getting baptized. (laughs) John had the authority to say, hey, you know what? Things might have to change. We might have to, because there, there's plenty of water, but we got to figure this out. But praise God that people are meeting the Messiah. Praise God, praise God that people are meeting Jesus. Why? Because there is plenty of water. The second observation today is this. Don't allow people to trigger comparison that wasn't even there. An argue, I love what the Bible says. It says an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. Have you ever felt good about where you were until someone told you that you shouldn't? Like you're just sitting there clapping your hands for people and it's like, man, my friends are crushing it. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden someone leans over and taps you on the shoulder and is like, hey, you know that should be you, right? And then we sit there and we think about it and we're like, that should be me. Like, <laughs> that sh- I should have that opportunity. John's just minding his business, baptizing people, loving life. And all of a sudden they come over and the peanut gallery comes around and says, hey, John, Things are a little messed up. People are going to him instead of coming to us. And not only now are they trying to take people away from Jesus, but now they're taking John away from baptism. So now John's baptizing, 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 they tap him on the shoulder and he has to be like, hey, wait one second, I can't baptize you right now for this crazy comparison. Because I cannot tend to the things that God has called me to while also tending to divisive people. I cannot have my attention in both places. I either got to be baptizing, I got to be doing what God's called me to do, I got to be going to work, or I got to be over here like, man, look at all those people over there getting baptized. Look at all those people that aren't coming to us anymore. A few things that you realize as you are a youth pastor are just going to happen. Like there are some things you're like, this just happens. Like for example, at least twice a month for a week, at least two weeks of the month, my car is going to smell like Little Caesar's pizza. Like I've accepted it. I've accepted it. My car is going to smell like pizza. It happens. I get in and I'm like, yep, I'm a youth pastor. There are a few moments that it's like, yep, I'm a youth pastor. Another one is that there will be random times throughout the year that that my office will look like a gift shop at Dave and Buster's. Like, it's like, where's all this random stuff at? There was one time I walked into my office and we had did an event and there was like 50 cans of like tie dye and random like toys that we had like like done and all these different random like t-shirts and stuff. And I was like, yeah. I'm a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. But one thing that you have to have as a youth pastor, like, so if anyone's in here and is like, I want to be a youth pastor one day, uh, you, you should, you should. But just know one thing that you have to have is this. You always have to have like crazy games for youth group. Like youth group games are like, you, if you're not doing games at youth group, like you're missing it, you're missing it. But I have a rule. I have a rule. We have a team that puts together our games and I've given them like free reign. We can do just, you can do just about anything except this. I refuse to be the youth ministry that does games involving like a ton of food. Like I refuse to do it. Like we will not be the youth ministry that's like, who can drink a gallon of milk the fastest? Like that's not, that's not who we're going to be. Like if we do anything like that, it's going to be who can drink glasses of water, stay hydrated. Like it's like, like we will not be that youth ministry. But there was one time we were playing this game and basically what happens, we gave all the kids a balloon. So it's like, hey, here's a balloon, blow it up, blow up this balloon. So the kids are there, and then we tell them, okay, here's the rule. You have to try to pop other people's balloons, and the last one standing wins. Okay, so they're there, and the kids are crushing it. Like, they're, like, guarding their balloons, and everyone's, like, super intense. And we got music playing in the background, and it, and it's Christian, of course, and, it's, uh, and we're there. <laughs> and we're there, and music's playing. But what is interesting is that a kid could be like completely crushing it. They could be killing it and then they'll be there and they'll go try to attack someone else's balloon. And the minute they try to go get someone their balloon, someone else comes from behind them and pops their balloon. And what's very interesting in life is that this is the cycle of comparison, that the minute that I begin to take my attention off what I have and put it on someone else's, that what I have actually begins to suffer. What I have actually is no longer tended to, that I cannot tend to the things that God has called me to tend to because of comparison. And I love that John shuts the entire situation down. He goes, guys, we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna do this. Nope, you know why I said I'm here. You know who I said I am. You know why. This is not about me. This is about God. And when people try to approach you and give you a wandering eye and say, you should be there. Why are you not here yet? You can remind them, hey, I'm here not for myself, but I'm here about God. My everything that I am is to give God the glory. And the last one today is this. I love that James says, when you compare and badmouth each other, you are writing graffiti all over God's message. We are called to honor the message and do what God has called us to do. The last point today is this. The big time is where you're at. The big time is where you're at. John 3, 28 says this, you yourselves can testify. This is John talking. I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Now, even referring to the last point, I love, love, love this, that the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears this voice. If you want to get over comparison really, really well, you have to understand the voice of God. You have to learn the voice of God. The Bible even tells us that sheep don't follow a stranger's voice. They follow the voice of the shepherd. The problem is that I sometimes don't know, is this a stranger or is this the shepherd? So, what I encourage you to do, read your Bible, pray, come to church, get in a group, go to summer camp. You'll learn to hear God's voice. I love, love, love that verse. And then he finishes off saying, He must become greater. I must become less. I was at a restaurant and I'm there with a couple friends. And they were actually from the church, actually. I was there with a couple friends from the church. And we're sitting down and all of a sudden, like, the waiter, like starts like staring at me, like the waiter and like a few of the staff members. And then I'm like, okay, this is a little weird. Um, so they're literally like huddling up, like over here, like looking at me and talking and like, I'm just sitting over here eating. Like, can I please have my pancakes? Like what is going on? So then all of a sudden the music starts to get louder and I'm like, what is happening? Like, this is so weird. Like, and then they're like looking at me and they're talking and they're huddling up. So we're sitting there and I'm like there and the waiter comes up and I'm like, okay, finally, like I'm gonna be able to take my order or he's gonna be able to take my order and I'm gonna be able to get some food. And he looks at me and he has this big smile on his face and he looks at me and he goes, Pharrell, right? (laughs) He literally is, I cannot make this up. He goes, Pharrell, right? And then I realized the music they were playing was Happy by Pharrell. Like they literally turned it on the radio. And it's like because I'm happy. Like literally he's blasting. I, I cannot make this up. This is a true story. A waitress runs up, runs up to him and goes, hey, hey, is it him? Like, this is no this is no lie. I cannot make this up. He did not believe I was not Pharrell. I didn't I didn't even share this the first year. I completely forgot about this. He didn't believe it wasn't me. And he asked me for a picture. We legitimately took a picture together. Like seriously. Like I'm being dead. I cannot make this up. I'm sitting there like. He probably posted it. Met Pharrell at work today. I'll be like, no, you didn't. You didn't. Who's this random guy? This random tall guy. <laughs> I completely forgot that I did that. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. And he didn't comp our meal, if you're wondering. <laughs> he didn't. As bad as I would have loved to be Pharrell, like he's, he's pretty cool. I'm not Pharrell. <laughs> And John time and time again is being asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we're waiting for? Are you the savior of the universe? And I love John's response because John was able to stop comparing only because he was confident in who he was. John understood his assignment. John understood that the big time is not in the future But the big time is where I am at. Even two chapters before, John's baptizing people, things are happening, the word is out, and it says the Pharisees had been sent to question him. And they ask him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Because the plan of comparison is stagnation. It's to make you sit still. Hey, why do you baptize then if you're not the Messiah? Okay, you're not one of those cool, important prophets. Like, why do you baptize? Oh, and this is the same thing that people will tell us, isn't it? Why do you work so hard at your job even though you didn't get that promotion? Why are you working so hard for your family even though you're going through a hard season? Why are you working so hard for your kids even though they're struggling right now? And I love John's response. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I met when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. So why do I baptize? So that he can be revealed to Israel. Why do I work so hard in my job even though I'm frustrated so that God can be revealed to my workplace? Why do I fight so hard for my family even though they're going through a hard time and we're entering this holiday season so that God can be revealed in our homes? Why do I fight so hard for my children and their purity and their integrity so that God can be revealed in our schools? Come on, does anyone want God to be revealed? When we cry out, Lord, send revival, we're not just talking about crowds. We're not just talking about a church service, but that God would be revealed through the Bay Area. So what this shows me is that the big time is not in the future, the big time is where I am at. Which is some good news, because what that tells me is that there is no better opportunity than the one that you have. Why? Because the God of the universe, who created the heavens and the earth, who came down from heaven, died on a cross, rose three days later, saw it fit that you would be in this time, in this season, in this family, at this job, in this church even today to hear the message, which means that the big time is not in a future season, the big time is not in in another job, the big time is not in another marriage, the big time is where you are at. What an honor. Oh, John knew, what an honor. He says "A, a joy to hear the voice of Jesus a joy to be away in the wilderness, a joy to pave the way for my God. What an honor that you and I can go through life realizing that we're just way pavers, that it's not about us, that we're not called to compare, that the focus isn't on us, that the attention isn't on us, that we're not called to look to the right or to the left, but my grace, my race, I'm not grace for your race. I'm not graced for your, job. I'm not graced for your, that's why, that's why, I'm not not graced for it, but I'm graced for my race. Oh, and if I run my race well, what an amazing thing I can do for Jesus. If I run my race well, oh, people aren't going to want to go away from Jesus. They're going to want to run towards him. My grace, my race. Come on, are we thankful for that this morning? Come on. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we ask ask this question every single week at our church, but maybe you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus before. We say this means a couple things. The first thing we say, this means, Jesus, I want you in my heart, that there are things that are in my heart that I need you to take out and there are things that aren't in my heart that I need you to put in. And the second thing we say, this means, Jesus, I want you in my life, that there's habits I have, that there's things that I do and I don't wanna continue to accept my own Savior, but I wanna accept you as a Savior. And if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you haven't made that decision before, um, I'm just going to ask you on the count of three to just raise your hand. We're not going to ask you to share anything. We're not going to ask you to tell your story. But the Bible does say that there has to be a decision that is made. And I just want to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you on the count of three, if you would just raise your hand. One, two, three. I see you. It's awesome. I see you. That's awesome. Anyone else? I see you. Best decision of your life. I see you. You can look up at me. And this next question is if you want to get out of the rat race. If you don't want to keep looking to the right or to the left, if you don't want comparison to define your desires, comparison to define the race that you run, but you want to say today, my grace, my race. If that's you on the count of three and my hand's going up you, go ahead and raise your hand. One, two, three. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Repeat after me. We say this prayer every week. It's called the sinner's prayer. The reason why we pray is because we believe that we're all sinners saved by grace. So repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new. Forgive me of my past as I choose today to make you Lord of my life for the rest of my life. And God, I thank you that your word tells us that we're new creations, that the old has passed away and that the new has come. So I thank you for moments like this that remind us that we're not just new, but we're made new by your grace. We are made new by your mercy. We are made new by your love. God, may we be a people that say my grace, my race. God, may we focus on the race that we have ahead of us. May we not look to the crowd and may we not throw peace signs at everyone that we think that we're leaving behind, but may we look forward and say, my grace, my race, that I can't be focused, God, may we be so focused just like John the Baptist, God, that we can't focus on everyone else's baptize, but we can focus on who we're baptizing, that we can't focus on the last season, but we're excited for this season. And God, I thank you that it's never too late for us. God, I pray against the plan of the enemy that wants to tell us that, oh, well, if you would have just figured this out a little bit sooner, or, oh, if you would have just gotten that job a little bit quicker. No, I bind that thought. And God, I thank you that your word says that all people have a purpose, that all people, that if we don't grow weary in well-doing in due season, in due season, God, may we not get things out of season. May we not get things that are not ours. But God, in due season, would we reap a harvest,